Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with Mr. Joe Valley. After building, buying, or selling a half a dozen of his own companies, Joe Valley helped build Quiet Light Brokerage, one of the leading online-focused M&A advisory firms in the world. Now, after facilitating nearly a half a billion dollars in exits, Joe has written the best-selling book, The Exitpreneur's Playbook, to help online business owners get the maximum value and best deal structure when they seek their own incredible exit. And isn't that what we're all doing this crazy entrepreneurship thing for? Of course, we don't want to just work the rest of our lives or else we just go get a job. We want to work for ourselves, have that freedom, and then one day be able to not work anymore. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I'm excited to jump into a conversation with you. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So before we <clears throat> talk all this M&A stuff and, uh, and talk about how to exit a business, always curious to hear people's stories, You know where they started, how they ended up, where they were, because I usually find that it's never quite linear, is it? It's always up and down and we go over here, we check this out, we try this, then that didn't work and then we'd go do this other thing. 
So, so take it back for me. Let's talk growing up first, 10, 11 year old Joe, what was life like for you? I had a paper roof. It's no question. I was out there hustling and working, so delivering Already. newspapers. I had a worm farm uh, as well. I lived, I grew up in Maine and uh, cool thing about summer in Maine, there's many cool things about summer in Maine, but I used to go out in the front yard with a flashlight at night and you'd, you'd just look in the ground and all of a sudden there'd be a night crawler there. And if you're quick enough and gentle enough, you get your fingers on that night crawler and then you slowly pull it out, put it in your bowl. And that's your business. That was my first muddy grasp on supply and demand. And then I had a sign out front. I lived on Central Street in Gardner, Maine. So lots of cars going by, schools across the road. My dad was kind enough. And I guess, I guess he just didn't care. He was kind enough to allow me to put a big sign out front that said night crawlers for sale. And that was, that was me as, as a kid uh, in nice. a big uh, box downstairs with dirt in the basement. And, you know, fishermen used to come. And this is obviously before you could buy worms at 7-Eleven. That was me in business for myself at, at 10 or 11 years old. Was that something your parents encouraged or was that just in you? It was just in me. I have three siblings. One is, uh, all, all of them have had jobs their entire life. One uh, has a little bit of a side hustle, but for the most part, my parents were not entrepreneurs. They were employees, both worked for the state of Maine. So I just came out of the womb differently. I just wanted to be an entrepreneur most of my entire life. Really? It's so interesting to me. I, I, I find it fascinating to have these conversations because I just don't, there doesn't seem to be something that I can point back to with every single person. You know, some people have been like that to your point since they were born. Some people, you know, didn't really get the itch until they were 35. And then you got Colonel Sanders who, you know, did it when he was like 68. What, what, what do you think leads people in, in that direction? What's the motivation there? Sometimes it's a shitty boss, right? <laughs> and yeah. You say, I got to get the hell out of here, do my own thing. I think it's internal. I, I don't think everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. It can be a tough life. You know, I've had okay. years where I've been excited about my carry forward loss from the previous year. That means that that previous year was pretty crappy, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should never be excited because you've got a carry forward loss and you're not paying as much in taxes. It's, it's, it's one of the benefits and huge drawbacks of entrepreneurship. I went to college in Boston with the Northeastern University and at Northeastern is a co-op program where in my day, after your freshman year, you go out to work for three months, then to school for three months, three or six months. And one of the things I learned more than anything else was what I didn't want to do for a living. And that helped me hone my path into entrepreneurship. And I realized I didn't want to work for a big company. I did that. I went to work for Scudder Funds. I got my Series six and 63 in the state of uh, Massachusetts. But I, uh, it was weird because I'm wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase that was empty, by the way, because I was a college student going to this job. But uh, I thought it looked cool. And then my next job was working as an assistant manager. This is for my co-op program in college at a place called uh, Cajun Joe's Fried Chicken and Biscuits. Nice. Fast food restaurant, right? Kind of like Colonel Sanders, but with, with spice on it. When I was working there, this guy uh, walked in with jeans and uh, a polo shirt on, leather, beat up leather jacket, beat up leather briefcase and said, hey, look, I run a small business. We deliver food to restaurants, four restaurants. Would you guys be interested in having us deliver your food? I sat down with him. We talked about it. I got up and I went out, went out back. One of the owners of the business was out back. I chose to talk to this guy instead. And I'm like, Dick, this is, this is what he talked about. This is what he, what he wants to do. I said, I don't want to do it. I don't want us to do it with him. I want to do it myself. And so I just took that leap right there further into entrepreneurship. The guy's name was Michael Hackle, by the way. 
and he ran a company called Dining In, which uh, was established in Boston, but then went to several other cities and eventually got bought by Grubhub. So he was an original, uh, my kids both DoorDash. So I call Michael the original DoorDasher. And I say that I'm one of those as well, because I left Cajun Joe's and I started a company called The Wrong Number while I was in college. Yes, it's a stupid name for a restaurant delivery business. But my target market was college students. And I was partaking in, in what's legal in about 13 states now when I came up with that name. But I did that. I, I had staff and I did it for about six, seven months working full-time while going to school full-time. It was a great experience, but I packed it in after Christmas and it ended up going to work for Michael at one point as well. So. Oh, no, I, okay, interesting. Where, where did you feel like... When when we say that you have, you know, built, exited six of your own companies before you started, you know, this online world, what what was your first one? And at what point did you realize like, oh, the the goal is the exit. It's not just building up a business. Oh, I wish I could say that I thought about that early on. You know, I'm I'm the mistake that I try to help so many people not make, Travis. My first business was was JBI Media. It was a it was an agency that bought media. That's what I started in 1997. And my goal was to make $50,000 in 1998 because the job that I left, I was making $50,000 before they cut everybody's pay. Uh, and I was making 35 and I said, I got to get out of here. I made a half a million bucks my first full year in business. So I 10 times my goal. And looking back, I always thought it was me. It was my business and therefore it wasn't sellable. Well, I had a staff. I had people doing things for me. I was spending you know, 150 grand a week of other people's money and keeping, you know, 10, 15% of that for my fees. So I had a solid business, but I didn't understand that what I needed to do was to make sure that I wasn't the business. If I made sure, if I, if I transitioned myself to, you know, just the strategist and not the day-to-day operator that I was, if I elevated myself to a certain level and put somebody else in place, I definitely had a sellable business, but I wasn't smart enough to do that. And I wasn't real excited about the business either. I, I launched a couple of products later in, in my product marketing company. And then the second product that I launched, I took 100% online. And this is where I made the mistake. I ran it through the best of and the worst of the economy. And it came out the other side tired. And it never occurred to me that I could sell it. Now, this is back in 2010. The world's changed a lot in you know 11 years it never occurred to me that I could sell it until I was tired, worn out, exhausted, frustrated, and didn't love it anymore. And I thought, how the hell can I get out of this thing? And this I just started searching. This is online. still the agency. No, this is my, this is my product company. The agency, oh, I, gotcha. I closed it. I got tired of doing it. I closed gotcha. it and I just walked away from it. it. It was a sellable business, but I transitioned into something else yeah, instead sure. of putting Peter in charge of it and letting Peter run it, eventually sell it to Peter or sell it to somebody else that wanted an agency. Agencies are very sellable. I just didn't know it at the time. This was the product that evolved from a radio and TV infomercial that I did that went 100% online for five years. But I waited too long. I was tired of it by the time I sold it, which meant that you know the business wasn't in the best shape it could have been in. And that's the, that's the thing I want people to avoid is waiting to the point where they wake up and say, I got to sell this. They really should do is set some goals. You know, uh, how much do you want to sell your business for? When are you going to sell it? And how do you want to feel when you sell it? And that last one is kind of weird. But as I said, we all have tough days as entrepreneurs. And if you put that feeling down as well, 
it will help you get through those tough days, weeks and months and years that we all have as entrepreneurs. Then they got to reverse engineer path to that goal by figuring out how much the business is worth today. That way they're not deciding to sell, they're, they're planning to sell their business. I hate, I hate the word planning, let's call it training. They're training, they're getting training to sell their business. In a world now where so many people are focused on building up their personal brand in conjunction with their, their business brand, how do you successfully do both without attaching your name so much to the business that nobody's interested unless you come along with them? It's a little harder. And you can go along with the business, but the beautiful thing about it is that you're out of the daily grind. You get to, you get to elevate yourself and do the thing that, things that you love. I sold a uh, prepper business a few years ago. You know what a prepper business is? Like, like doomsday prepper? Exactly. Exactly. Nice. So it was operated by a woman. She was uh, hit 70 and she wanted to retire. It was a business that she'd been around for a decade. It was a content site. She talked about prepping and she talked about products and she made a lot of affiliate revenue through that process. And when she wanted to exit, uh, you know, the reality was that people opened up her newsletter and went to her website because of her, right? that she had to stay attached to the business for trans, a longer training and transition period after. Normally when somebody sells their business, it's a short period. The, the, the asset purchase agreement in, in, at Quiet Light often says up to 40 hours over the first 90 days. In her case, we had to negotiate how long she was going to stick around as the name and face of the business. Ended up settling on 12 months. So she got out of the daily grind, but she was still... Her picture was still on the website and her name was on emails and things of that nature. Now she's a prepper, so she's paranoid. So she was terrified of what people were going to say in that, in those emails. So we had to negotiate, you know, a lead time on every email that was going to be drafted that would have her name on it Mm -hmm. so that she could approve them or decline them within reason. And, you know, she has a life, she has vacation, she wanted to retire, but it's doable. But often cases, you know, if, if, if it's the Travis Chapel show and, you're selling products along with everything that you do, but you love the podcasting aspect of it because let's face it, this part is fun. It's networking. You could just podcast and just slowly transition into somebody else taking over. So through the businesses that you've sold, how crucial have you found the relationship building process to be in the acquisition? For founders that I've talked to, it seems like it's more intense than getting married or you know what I mean? Like it... It's often two or three years of courting a potential buyer before you have your ducks in a row with your financials and you have removed yourself from some of the business and then, and they've done diligence and everything goes through Like that process can be extremely long. How how important is it if you're looking at like, I want to sell this thing in three years, I want to sell this thing in five years. How important is it to like get started immediately, put it with a list of potential buyers and start in my world, don't do it. Focus on running your business and learn the strengths and weaknesses of your business and what buyers add value when they add value or they look at something and they detract value. That's what you need to focus on. You don't need to be running your business, building your business and seeking out buyers and negotiating with buyers for years at a time. Not in my world. Okay. You may know I've, I've sold about hundred million in total transactions myself for online businesses since I joined Quiet Light and then became a partner. Uh, and that I joined in 2012. I've touched another half a billion in transactions through Quiet Light in that time period. We're, and that's growing dramatically. We're, we're going to close $250 million in transactions in 2021. 
what would you say the average like transaction side? Like if you're doing a quarter billion in 2021, how many, how many businesses are being bought and sold in that quarter billion? Our average transaction size is two point. It's the median. Sorry, not the average is uh 2.2 million, 2.238953 wow. million. The multiple, the average multiple, and this is across SaaS content, e-commerce agency, all that is 3.46 of sellers discretionary earnings. It excludes inventory. If you had inventory into it, it's going to pop it another half point to about four. Mm-hmm. That's up dramatically from three years ago. The total number of offers, and this is why you don't go out hunting for buyers prior to listing your business for sale. The average number of offers we've had year to date on every single listing is 3.8. And so we're in a time and space in this world where there are more buyers than there are sellers. So if you do a good job running your business, building your business to be a great business for a great buyer to take over at a great price, and then go through the process of putting a great package together and making it available after somebody signs a non-disclosure agreement, to all potential buyers, you're going to create a competitive environment where buyers are going to be looking at it and making a decision fairly quickly. And hopefully you'll have multiple offers and get to choose your buyer as opposed to courting buyers or a buyer over the course of two or three years when, you know, all the stars are not aligned, but that's the world I live in. You may have a bit of a different world. The other question I know that's probably in people's minds is length of time from how long it's listed to the time it closes. Again, our largest deal in the last 12 months is 25 million. Our smallest is 81,988. As I look at this other page here, 103 days is the time from list to closing. So I don't think the networking from buyers, you know, to to find uh, your business buyer is important, but networking is incredibly important. That's what, for podcasting, that's all it is for me is networking and being great people like yourself. I'm an introvert. Travis, but if I could, could I share one networking story? Please, yeah. All right. Interrupt. I go on tangents, man. So just interrupt me anytime. Oh, this is great. So uh, we, we sponsor events and we go to those events and we mingle and we talk and we get to meet friends and make friends. And I'm an introvert, not on podcasts like this. I talk too much, but in person, it's hard. It's exhausting. But I saw a guy named Mike Jackness up on stage doing an incredible presentation on Clavio. I got to, got to know that guy. So I saw him at the next event. He was doing a similar thing. And I just got the courage up to walk up and say hello and start chatting with him and get to know him a little bit. It turns out we have a lot in common. He's a great guy. He's, he's a good human, right? In the e-commerce world, which sometimes can be hard to find. Um, and his motto is he's, he's, he has a podcast as well. He's just trying to help people. And that's how we connected and, you know, in alignment with philosophies. It turns out that Mike has a podcast. I didn't know he had a podcast at the time. Podcast, he's got a mastermind group. Um, he's very well connected, which turned out to be very good for quiet life, but it also turned out to be good for Mike in different ways. So networking, just going up and saying hello, trying to figure out how I can help this guy, you know, and be in the same world and, and, and benefit him in some way. It did benefit him because I eventually sold Mike's business, Color It. We've talked about that on podcast, so it's okay. And then we talked about that on his podcast, a four-part series to help people understand the process. But Mike has also shared his relationships with us and we've helped other people exit their business from that connection and networking. It's one small example. The intention wasn't that, but the result was that. The result Mm -hmm. was, the the intention was to, to make a connection with somebody 
that seemed to be a like-minded person and see how I could maybe help his world in some way. And we've benefited each other through mutual uh, goals and aspirations and a philosophy of helping others first. And yeah. it's, it's been very, very, it was a, it was a good connection. It was hard to do to, to walk up and say hello to you know, a total stranger and somebody that seemed relatively important at the time that was up on stage. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's the name of the game right there is uh, like what you said is that the, the result wasn't the original intent, but that's to me, the beauty of relationship building and networking when you're in it for the right reasons. And when you're in the, the correct headspace, when you go about building those relationships is that mo more often than not, it's going to be like that. More often than not, it, you're not going to get the in, original intended result. But uh, I think that's also what makes it difficult for people to do. I think it makes it difficult for people who want to see that ROI, who want to be able to like draw a direct line to, if I do this activity, I will achieve this result. It's difficult for those types of people to wrap their mind around just going to an event and trying to meet some people, you know, because they, they can't come back and like draw it on a whiteboard of the exact value that they got immediately after they return. But to your point, it's not about the next 30 days. It's about what happens in a year from now because of the people that I met here, the relationships that I built there. What happens in five years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now? And I think that's the correct way to go about viewing networking and building relationships is it? It's all long-term and it's probably not going to work exactly the way that you want it to work or the way that you think it's going to work. But if you approach it with open mind and a mutual exchange of value where you're searching for just ways to help the other person without the expectation of receiving a bunch of things in return, then I've never seen it 
not work out for people who live their life like that is my point. It always comes back. It's the strangest thing. When I was younger, all I wanted to do was make money, right? That was my goal. Now that, as you can see, I've got a lot of gray on my chin. You don't have any. Um, just one, just one or two every now and again. I just have to pluck it. They're going to multiply by 10 when you do that. It's funny. Um, <laughs> now, you know, I wrote the book not to make money, but to help people because people don't want to talk to a broker, but I brokered a hundred million in deals. I've seen a thing or two. Let me put it all in writing so that people are not, that are not comfortable talking to an advisor are not ready. They can just pick up the book, yeah. right? I'm not making money from a book sales. So, but my philosophy now is, is if I can, the more people that I can help and connect with and make a difference in their lives, strangely enough, it comes back around, you know, it, I make more money by helping people than I did when I was focused on making more money. Yeah, to- uh, totally do. If, if money's the goal, you're not going to get it. If helping others is the goal, money comes along with that. Cause that's all entrepreneurship is at its core, at its root. Entrepreneurship is solving other people's problems. That's it. If you can solve enough problems for other people, then your problems will be solved, which your problems might be money. It might be putting a roof over your head or whatever it, whatever it might be. But I mean, that's why Zig Ziglar's quote is timeless, right? If you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything that you want. And uh, if you look at life that way of just a goal is to go help this amount of people solve this type of problem, you know what I mean? Then you get paid accordingly for the size of the problems that you can help other people solve. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, with entrepreneurship and building that business, using that mindset, not to, let's see how much money I can make with this business, but building a great business that's great for the customer. It's got legs, it's, it's defensible, it's got longevity. That's actually what's going to help you get the most money out of your business. Maybe you're not going to run it in 10 years, but you're going to be able to sell it for a much higher value if you've built a great business than you are if you, you just built it on a house of cards and it's got the potential to collapse any day just because yeah. you're focused only on money and your chargebacks are through the roof or anything like that. Your reviews are going to catch up to you and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. And you're not going to have a sustainable, sellable business. And the fact is that, you know, th- at least 50% of all the money you're ever going to make comes the day that you sell your business. So mm. if you build it with the next buyer in mind, with the next owner in mind, by by helping others, whether you're selling grilling aprons or a SaaS product, the more people that you can take really good care of and have them love what you do, the, it's going to come back tenfold to you in the long run. So what are a few of those things you kind of mentioned a couple just off the cuff there? What are a few of those things that help us build good, quote unquote, good businesses, good sellable businesses? What are some, you know, you said defensible and a couple other things. Can you kind of list off a few more of those? Yeah, well, you know, buyers are always looking at, you know, four or five things. And, you know, it's it's uh, the growth of a business, transferability, the risk of a business, the documentation of the business. And who's that person running the business? It's kind of a weird fifth pillar that holds all the mortar of those bricks together. So, you know, risk, growth, transferability, and documentation. Risk is age of the business. 24 months seems to be the magic number. Anything younger than 24, buyers seek a discount. Diversification or channel risk is another one. So if I'm, you know, if you're only selling on Amazon versus Shopify and Amazon 50-50, that mix of business is more balanced when you own the customer it's less risk because you had two channels. So the lower the risk, the higher the value. A lot of people that first decide to go into entrepreneurship or acquisition entrepreneurship by buying a business, 
they say, well, I'm going to take less risk. I'm going to buy a smaller business. Well, the reality is that the smaller the business, the higher the risk. So you want to buy a sizable business that's been around for a while. It's defensible. It's sustained. There's multiple channels of revenue. And you don't want that single skew or hero skew that's generating 70% of the revenue. That's a big risk component. The growth is the other thing that the buyers are constantly looking at. If your business is growing steadily, cool. Buyers can predict the future. If it's up and down, up and down, up and down, it's probably because you built it on a house of cards or you're an entrepreneur that really just loves the business one year, hates the business the next. And the buyer is going to give a huge discount to lumpy growth or downward trends. They're just looking at a return on their investment. So a three-time multiple of seller's discretionary earnings simply means that they're going to get an ROI of a break-even in three years. And so if it's trending down, it's going to accelerate or extend, I'm sorry, how long it's going to take them to earn their money back. Plus they have to plug all the holes. So growth trends are incredibly important. And what's really my favorite growth aspect of a business, because buyers just love this, is built-in paths to growth, right? So if you imagine going through the jungle and I'm out in front of you and I'm hacking down the path and making it easier for you behind me, that's a built-in path. You do the same thing with your business and you launch five new SKUs. You've got a total of 20, but you've launched five in the last 12 months and they're all up and running and at least break even and growing and eventually making a profit. That's a built-in path to growth. All I have to do is let time pass. And then the transferability, Travis, man, it goes without saying if the assets of the business are not transferable to the new owner of the business, then you don't have a sellable business. So if you have an exclusive rights to sell product XYZ on Amazon, but you can't transfer those rights, you don't have a sellable business. Simple as that. And then the documentation, most people just screw up on their financials. They don't have them. You know, um, if there's an audience full of entrepreneurs right now, 50% of them are using, you know, Excel. Um, unfortunately, they've got to be using QuickBooks or Zero, And those that are using QuickBooks or Zero are probably not doing accrual accounting. They're doing it in-house because they don't want to, you know, pay a full-time bookkeeper. I don't blame them. They should just outsource it now to an e-commerce bookkeeper and get it done right. Documentation is so critical. It's the starting point. You want to know how much your business is worth? Let's run a PL and let's do an ad back schedule and see what your discretionary earnings is. And let's compare numbers and year over year trends and things of that nature. And um, that's, that's the foundation of, of the value of your business. In most cases, some SaaS businesses can be valued as a, as a multiple of revenue, but in most cases, it's a multiple of discretionary earnings. Discretionary earnings, would that be like EBITDA instead of? Really, it's adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted. And the adjustment part is owner benefits and one-time expenses. So we know what the EBITDA part is. So if you're run, if you're a solopreneur and you're the owner and operator of your business, you get staff, you might have VAs, but you pay yourself $150,000. That's an owner benefit, right? So that's an add back. So discretionary earnings or seller's discretionary earnings, SDE, is calculated like this. It's net income plus add backs equals seller's discretionary earnings. Most people that are selling businesses on their own lose their shirt because they don't do a proper add back schedule. So you run this P&L in QuickBooks or Zero, you export it to Excel, and then below the net income line, you write addbacks and you add back your owner's salary, the taxes that you paid on that, your mobile phone, your in-house internet for your office, your office rent that you pay off, but it's inside your house, meals and entertainment, your truck, even though you're in the internet business. This is the world I live in. Certain things are addbacks. Cashback money is the biggest one, right? So 
you know, I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago at a, a e-commerce event for eight figure sellers and he's doing 50 million a year in revenue has a 10 time multiple offer for his business. And he didn't know that cashback money was an ad back. So he spends enough money where he gets $50,000 a month in cashback money. Right. But he slides it over to his personal account. Okay. Gotcha. Never hits his profit and loss statement. Gotcha. That's okay. It's an owner benefit. It's an owner benefit. So we pull that back over into the ad back schedule, 50,000 a month, $600,000 a year. His business is valued at 10 times. So that adds $6 million to the list price of the business. It's math and logic. It's owner benefit. Add zero, subtract zeros, whatever works for you. But that's the kind of thing that people miss when they're listing on their own. And that's why understanding this really deep weed thing of ad backs is so critically important. And it, you can't talk about it in five minutes. It takes much, much more time. Can you briefly kind of touch on, if you're a business owner, you're listening to this right now, which the majority of our audience is, you know, entrepreneurs of small businesses ranging from, you know, just getting started to people who are running eight and figure companies. At what point should you consider M&A strategy as a point of growth for your own business in terms of going out and acquiring other businesses and similar verticals to add, you know, revenue and things like that to your business. Cause I, cause the way I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong is as long as you like the, the bigger your business or the type of industry that you're in, those are types of things can, that can affect the multiple things <clears throat> your business is valued at. Yep. So theoretically, if you're acquiring businesses that are valued at a multiple lower than yours is, it's instant uh, increase in value when you instant add those businesses to your business because yep. your business is valued higher, correct or incorrect? Yeah, absolutely. What you're talking about is, again, acquisition entrepreneurship or growing your business through acquiring others. You know, publicly traded companies do it every day. Uh, Facebook's bought you know, dozens of businesses probably this week, but in the last couple of years, they've made a lot of large purchases. So what happens is, you know, going back to that risk pillar, right? The larger the business, the lower the risk, the lower the risk, the higher the multiple. Uh, and there's there's multiple scales, right? So if you've got a business doing $100,000 in discretionary earnings and a similar business selling similar products doing a million dollars in discretionary earnings, that million dollar business is larger, it's more established. It's going to get a, let's say a five time multiple when the $100,000 business may only get a two and a half time multiple. So therefore, if you are at a point where you're doing a million in discretionary, but you're going to, you're buying a business and you're going to get another half million in discretionary by buying a company. First of all, when you buy it, you probably have economies of scale. You can, you know, use some of your in-house resources to lower the costs and increase that half million, but you're bigger now. So instead of, you know, yours being valued at a five-time multiple, you may be at six or seven, depending upon what you buy and how you buy it. This is what all of the, the Amazon aggregators are doing, like Thrasio, Perch, Boosted, Elevate, Razor, Profound. They're all, they've raised millions of dollars and they're buying Amazon businesses at a multiple of two, three, four. Once that business comes into their larger portfolio, uh, it, it becomes worth 10 times or 15 times. So they're getting lots of instant equity. And so, you know, larger businesses demand a higher multiple. And so you can grow your overall value by acquiring businesses. But there's two things there. You're going to gain discretionary earnings, but you're also going to get a bump in your multiple as well. 
Yeah, that's a fascinating world, man. I was a friend of mine is one of those one of those Amazon guys. Um, they've you know raised hundreds of millions in debt to yeah at low interest to go acquire these um, you know ten to fifteen million dollar ARR Amazon sellers, and they're adding it in. They're looking to exit, and they're valued at like almost a two billion dollar valuation now. And then looking to exit, you know what I mean? It's just like um, it was definitely conversation I was having with them where. I wanted to at least make more people aware that this is a, sh- a real strategy that a lot of people uh, that are bigger players use on you know a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. It's a full time job, right? So you know, Thras has tentacles all over the world now. Uh, yeah. When they when they first got their seven hundred and eighty million dollar valuation, I think it was in the spring of twenty twenty. Maybe it, maybe it was twenty nineteen. I forget. They had purchased about twenty percent of their businesses through Quiet Light. They just don't need to buy as many businesses through brokerage firms anymore because they have teams of people all over the world buying lists of Amazon sellers, attending every possible event, making friends and saying things like, we'll buy your business in all cash and close in 30 days, which is not true, by the way. They're good people. They're likable. They're your friends and mine. And we enjoy having drinks and dinner with them. They're charming. They're likable. They've raised a lot of money, which makes them very dangerous. Their ultimate goal is to buy your business for as little as possible so they get the biggest bump in instant equity. Don't ever lose sight of that. But yes, you can acquire additional businesses and bolt it onto yours and get a bump in discretionary earnings and then a bump in your multiple as well. There's no, no doubt about it. If anybody's out there selling their business and considering selling to one of these aggregators, this ad back thing is something you have to, you have to learn, you have to digest and you have to understand because you'll be giving them a, a huge ignorance discount if you do not do a proper ad back schedule. Not only are they going to get an ignorance discount, but they're going to buy your business and then they're going to be a huge bump in multiple because of what, they, what they're doing. So make sure you're getting your value. Exitpreneur's Playbook. For those of you that are listening to this conversation and scratching your head, maybe you missed a couple of things, maybe a couple of things went over your head, just like they did with mine. And you're going to want to go pick up a copy of Joe's book, The Exitpreneur's Playbook. And a lot of the things that we're talking about today are inside of that book. It's like your manual how-to guide. If you can't afford an advisor or consultant at the moment, you're just kind of looking to see how you could set your business up for uh, uh, selling it, then uh, go pick up a copy of the Exitpreneur's Playbook. Um, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. It's a fascinating conversation. I'd love to continue, maybe have a part two sometime. Uh, Before we go, where should people go connect with you? Uh, They can find me at exitpreneur.io at quietlight.com. If they're buying or selling a business, check that out. Um, If they want to check out a free chapter or two of the book, exitpreneur.io, and they can always follow me on Twitter at uh, the Joe Valley. Joe Valley was taken. I'm not the Joe Valley, but it's the only option I had. So the Joe Valley on Twitter. Happy to uh, follow you back and uh, have some communications with you as well, folks. Exitpreneur.io and at the Joe Valley over on Twitter. Go connect, say what's up, tell me you heard about him here on the show. Joe, thanks so much for coming on, man. This is a, a really enlightening and fun conversation. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Travis. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.